I was struck there when we were singing of that line in the One Shall Tell Another, the new wine of the kingdom. Compassion of the Father is ready now to flow. Uh, Just like the wine flowed freely at the wedding of Cana, so the compassion of the Father is now ready to flow, even now. And we we live in a day where the compassion of the Father, the compassion of God, is freely available to us. And that's why we gather here in church just to celebrate that and to uh, acknowledge that and even to allow that to happen. Um, If ever there was a justification for holy people to drink wine, then John chapter 2 is it. I mean, often you hear that quoted, oh, Jesus must approve of wine because he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Every time there's an argument about whether or not Christians should drink wine and how much wine they should drink, people always quote from John chapter 2. They say, it's in the Bible, so it must be right. Um, But yes, I I think wine, I I like a glass of wine. But it's not just the earthly wine that we're talking about here. It's representative of the spirit, the presence of God, which brings like a a full-bodiedness to our humanity, our living. So there's something here about um, weddings, about the coming together in intimate relationship between two parties uh, that speaks to us about our relationship with God. It's how God wants our relationship to be, is to be intimate, is to be joined together a a union between the earthly, fleshy, and the spiritual. That's how life, I think, is meant to work. So there's two words to think about as we go through today, is consummation and transformation. Neither of these words you'll find in the Bible, but they both uh, describe something that's happening in this passage now we know what transformation means, the transformation, the change, the change from water into wine. Um, but what about consummation? What, is that, what might that mean? Well, if you look in the dictionary, one dictionary definition says, consummation means the eager fulfillment that follows a long and passionate seduction, the point at which something is complete, made perfect, or finalized in every way. So it's the completion the fulfillment of a coming together of more than one party. It's really what is happening in the story and is what the reality of our life in Christ is all about, is that coming together between matter, that's like you and I, flesh and blood, and the spirit. So consummation is usually used in the context of marriage, Uh, between husband and wife, and so it's therefore symbolic that John uses this as the first recorded miracle of Jesus in the context of a wedding, a marriage ceremony. Now we we know there's lots in the scriptures about uh, marriage and about the idea that the relationship between the Lord and the Lord's people is like a marriage. That's how it's meant to function. 
There's lots of the prophets of old that speak of that. For example, Isaiah 62 says, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, for he delights in you, and your land shall be called Beulah, which in Hebrew means married. Even your very land will be married to the Lord. So there's lots in the scriptures of that relationship that God intends between himself and people. Now we know that earthly marriage doesn't always work out. It's imperfect and it's incomplete. And it certainly won't work without the union with the spirit, the divine, which is symbolized by the wine at this feast. So the idea of this coming together in a consummation, that's really important. And I think this is what Jesus is demonstrating at this wedding. And we read, uh, Alec read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which of course is written maybe 30 years uh, or more after the death of Jesus. And when Christians were beginning to understand what Jesus meant, and what all these things were about. And so we can look back with hindsight to see that Jesus is talking here about a day coming where the Spirit will be poured out on all people and life will be transformed as a result of that. And that the Spirit will be given to everyone in a different way, but it will be for the common good. That will be for the common good, as, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Everybody has a gift, and the gift is to be used for the building up of God's kingdom. So all of those things were taking place at the wedding feast. Maybe if you go on to the next slide, Chris. I came across um, Francis Hogan is a theologian who's written a book called The Words of Life from John the Beloved. And you can get it free online. So if you want to check it out later, you can. But like other theologians, Francis Hogan looks at the book, the Gospel of John as a whole, and divides it into two. Chapters 1 to 12 really talk about the, the signs as the book of the signs, which reveal the glory, the beloved Son, Jesus. And then chapters 13 to 21 are the book of glory revealing the beloved disciples. And really, those last chapters in John cover that last week of Jesus' life. One week in Jesus' life is covered by all of those chapters. So, but John spent the first 12 chapters in putting together um, a whole list of symbols. There are seven signs, seven being the perfect number in Hebrew, seven signs pointing to this as being the Messiah. Uh, who's then described in that last week of his life in the end chapters. <clears throat> There's lots of symbolism in John's gospel. It's very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> so there's lots of questions that we might want to meditate further on. Why does John tell us, for example, that the wedding takes place on the third day? Already in John chapter 1, We've, had, we've already had three days, so we're at least on to the fourth day by the time chapter 2 starts. Why does it say it's the third day? It must, be, must mean something. 
Well, of course, it points to what else do we think about when we think of the third day. On the third day, Jesus rose again. He's pointing to that. No doubt about it. But also, uh, it was on the third day that marriages in Hebrew culture took, not generally took place, the third day being a Tuesday. <clears throat> so perhaps something, uh, something to do with that. Um, and of course, weddings often lasted for seven days. Again, a symbol of the completeness of things. So Jesus has come to inaugurate a new day, and he's demonstrating that with this, um, with this miracle. What about Mary? It's interesting, Mary, when, uh, when they run out of wine, was she embarrassed on account of the people uh, hosting the wedding? Um, did she want to... Um, prove how good her son was at miracles? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Why, why was she doing, did she have great faith in, in Jesus? Possibly. Is she, is she changing? John wanting us to see that she's not just the earthbound mother of Jesus, but she's now becoming a disciple of Jesus who exercises faith in him? Yeah, maybe. I think that might be at least partly true. But it's interesting that when the servants come and, uh, and, and she says to Jesus, um, and Jesus says, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. It's not yet my time. Um, it's almost as if Mary ignores that and he, she turns to the servants and says, Just do whatever he says. So, in other words, as mothers know, um, he's, going to, he's going to do it because she said he's going to do it. So he's going to do it. Um, and uh, even though he seems reluctant, he's going to do it. And he does do it, of course. And uh, it's interesting that in Francis Hogan compares Mary here to Joseph in Pharaoh's court in Egypt. When everybody, when they come, people come to Pharaoh for, for help, Pharaoh points them to, to, to Joseph and says, go to Joseph because Joseph is in charge of the storehouses so if you need food, go to him. He's got all the answers. So the implication here being is Mary knows exactly where to go for help. It's to go to Jesus. Jesus is the one who has all the answers. He's the one with all the food. He's the one with the storehouses of goodness. He's the one to go to. He's the one in whom we can just leave and entrust all our anxiety. So interesting demonstration of faith there from Mary. Why six empty water jars? Well, six was an incomplete number. Six also human beings were created on the sixth day. And we've already seen how human beings can get it wrong. And they're incomplete without God, who's, who's symbolized by his presence on the Sabbath on the seventh day. We need the seventh day. because So again, is John drawing that symbolism to bring our attention to the idea of Jesus as the Messiah. I think he is. Um, water. Water is a very ordinary commodity. Um, it would have been there used for ceremonial purposes, uh, John tells us. It's there for ritual wa washing. Um, it's very ordinary, but again, it's just an ordinary thing that Jesus uses to, to, to turn something into extraordinary. So he takes the ordinariness of our lives and he makes it complete. Again, another 
demonstration of that. 120, 120 gallons. Why tell us 120 gallons, six times 20 gallon jars? For the only reason here, I think, is because of the abundance. It's a huge amount of water and therefore a huge amount of wine. And it's near the end of the wedding. So they'd already had lots of wine to drink and yet there's even more in abundance. It's something about the abundant life that Jesus is bringing to us and the extravagant grace that God is. So I think that's what that means for me. And the pouring out is not until the water is poured that it turns into wine, we're told. Um, there's something about the importance of being poured out. And even in that, I think John is saying that Jesus' blood is going to be poured out for all people. Um, and likewise, it's not until we give of ourselves that other people benefit. It's not until people pour out their lives in service for one another that other people are blessed and benefited. So what's the purpose of it all? The purpose, John tells us in, chapter, in verse 11, is to reveal the glory of God so that his disciples would believe in him. So what might that mean for us uh, today? What might we take away from it? We might meditate on um, giving up the old wine that we've been used to and embracing the new wine in the Spirit. That, that might mean lots of things to lots of people. It might mean we need to think about new ways of worshipping. Jesus is basically saying the old ways of worshipping are, are incomplete um, there's now a new way of worshipping in spirit and in truth. Uh, we might meditate on our relationship, our in, the intimate relationship that the bridegroom and bride have to which we are invited to be part of. Um, I'm not sure what else you might want to take away from this, but there's lots in that, I think. And uh, let, there's one last slide, I think, Chris. Oh, that's it there. Um, let's just pray. Let's just take a moment to pray, will we? Lord, thank you that, um, as Jesus said about that wine, that you've left the best until last. We thank you that the best possible sign of your kingdom is Christ's coming to us to be revealed. To, to reveal yourself to us. And we thank you for that sign. And we thank you for the wine of the kingdom that is poured out through the Holy Spirit's presence. And we pray for that pouring out to continue in, to, in, in our lives and through our lives so that we would know ourselves gifted by you, Lord, in order to build up the body and to bring glory to you. So I pray... Father God, that you'll, you will reveal to each of us how we need to respond to the truth of the new wine of the kingdom and what that might mean in order to bless those around us. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.